Solidarity Fulton podcast, we are interviewing Kevin Mowong, Executive Director of Solidarity, which is a nonprofit based in Fullerton. Kevin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course, a real pleasure to have you. So, if you could tell me a little bit about the background story of Solidarity, like how was it created and when was it created? What was your role? Yeah, so it started way back in 2002. It was a bunch of college students who were going to Hope International University, mm-hmm. which is a you know it's a private Christian college. So uh, a lot of our faith, we were trying to figure out how do you live out our faith in a way that is mm, that that could actually really benefit the city and didn't just hurt the city. Because at that time, you know, a lot of churches were doing things that were could have been harmful for different areas. So we're trying to figure out like how do we do this and how do we live out our authentic faith in it meaningful sort of way and so uh, it started off with us just trying to do like random service projects or one-time acts of kindness and pretty soon that started to feel more and more like empty and, and hollow and so what we were realizing is that we were missing like a, a crucial piece of long-term relationship we wanted to get in a place where we can invest in long-term and just be there and so that's how we stumbled into the Garnett neighborhood which is mm-hmm. off of Placentia you know, Yorba Linda and we connected with the city-run facility over there and told him we had an organization that would love to help out in any sort of way. And the guy who was running it was this man named Eddie Persiaga. And he said, well, we only do direct services here. Do you guys um, do, do you guys know how to run an after-school program? And our executive director at that time, Tommy Nixon, was like, yeah, yeah, sure. We, run it. <laughs> we, we can totally do that. And so our literal first day of after-school program was me and Tommy walking up and down the street asking little kids to hey, little kid, you want to come to an after-school program, which is the worst way to start an after-school program. I don't know what mom in her right mind was like, yeah, go ahead. I trust those those grown adults. It'll be fine to hang out with them. But it was really our first entry into the neighborhood, and after that we started to learn more of what the neighborhood needed and wanted and and tried to shape our programs around that. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I'm getting curious now. What were the churches doing at that time that you didn't quite agree with, (laughs) if you want to answer that question? Well, you know... It was, I, I came out of kind of the evangelical movement, so a lot of it was like, I'm, converting was the number one thing, and and when I kind of looked back at my faith and what I thought Jesus was doing, it was all about love, and, and it just didn't seem to equate in the same mm-hmm. way. Um, and there was tons of churches that were doing really good jobs at it too, but there, there were also some cringy moments, I think, <laughs> back in late 1990s, early 2000s. Yeah. So here I'm imagining this. this is a bunch of college students, mm-hmm. and you guys are like, we want to do more services and yeah. projects, so you just start an after-school program. Yeah. Is that exactly what happened? That's basically what happened. We didn't have any clue what we were doing. Uh-huh. Um, some of us were a part of different after-school programs in the past. We kind of just collectively brought together all of our understanding of how to do it, and we experimented a lot, and we probably did a lot of things that weren't beneficial for the neighborhood in the beginning and just had to grow and learn uh, how to adapt and get better at it. Yeah, you just had to learn from your mistakes. So when did Solidarity become a nonprofit? That was in 2002. We applied for our 501c3. And then mm-hmm. by 2004, I think, is when we actually got everything finalized in it. But So what was yeah. that two-year journey like? Um, you know, I didn't have as much of my hands into that. It was our former executive director. So it was, it was quite a process, I think, for him to get it all done. If I remember everything correctly, he... We really needed a lawyer, we really needed an accountant, and uh, fortunately a couple of those people came around um, just miraculously and said, hey, I heard you're trying to do this, I can offer some help. And so that got us along our, our way and it you know, it's turned out 
fairly well so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So um, I was browsing through your website mm -hmm. and I saw that there are these five barriers that Solidarity yes. kind of works to overcome. They are education inequity, youth violence, food and financial insecurity, broken immigration system, and lack of representation in places of influence. Mm -hmm. So if you could tell me a little about each of those. Yeah, um, well, to start off with educational inequity, I think we really saw the difference during the pandemic because um, mm. our students, they were struggling and the pandemic hit them when everything went to distance learning. Uh, they kept hearing stories of their peers who came from more like middle-class affluent neighborhoods that they were able to get into uh, private tutors who were coming to there or they were making like little learning pods, the parents were setting that up. Mm. Or the parents didn't have to go to work so the parents were able to stay home and help the kids navigate through the whole entire um, you know, online learning system. And our kids were just at a loss. And some of our kids didn't have all the tools to be able to do it. And the school district stepped up massively. They were getting, you know, computers out to all the kids and Wi-Fi um, access spots and all these things to help um, equalize things or help make it more equitable. Uh, but that, that was part of the things where we saw it, like, really face-to-face -face for educational mm -hmm. inequity. And so our... Our drive there is just to help resource our neighbors and give them all the things that they can use so that they can have a successful academic career, uh, whatever way they choose to go in that. Uh, we try not to prescribe anything for them. Like they have to go to college or it's all about four-year university, but it's really what they feel like they really want to do and then how do we help them chase their dreams in that. But um, make sure that things are equitable and they are getting the resources that they want to be able to achieve that. Uh, tell me if this is too long, because that was oh, just one. Totally yeah. fine. Uh, the second right. one, youth violence. We come from two neighborhoods that we're in, in Solidarity, are traditionally gang-influenced communities. Mm. Um, so we've had a lot of shootings or um, stabbings, people getting beat up. like the, And then there's a lot of um, stories of just violence within the home that we've heard of and stuff like that. And so we're trying to reduce that. We do that mostly through character development, mentoring, connecting them to adults who um, just want to see a better life for them and try to help them out in those sort of ways. A lot of our kids are incredibly resilient and they've gone through a ton of things, but they are still positive contributors to the community, um, you know, beautiful neighborhood leaders that come out of that. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see what's the next one is the broken immigration system. Yeah. Uh, so that one has been Tough. I, I remember, I didn't know too much about it. I'm a fourth generation Chinese American, so I, I my great great grandfather dealt with a lot of it, right, coming yeah. in. And so um, a lot of our kids, after they're starting to graduate high school and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do next, whether they go to university or work, they're just like, Kev, I, I don't have, I don't know what I'm going to do next year because I can't really work right now and I'm having a hard time finding funding to be able to go to college. And he's like, I, and I, I just don't have my papers. I'm like, you don't have your papers, let's just go get your papers. Think it's an easy thing to do, right? We can get the documents you need. And slowly as we got into it, we started to realize, man, this the immigration system is, is broken, it's very complex, it's super hard to navigate, um, especially if English is your second language on exactly. all this, trying to do these things. So uh, through that, my colleague, Bethany Anderson, um, started up Communal Immigration Services, which it allows um, all sorts of immigration services, anything from DACA to, um, asylum cases to family petitions and we're able to help uh, some of our neighbors and all of Orange County people, our clients, uh, try to get any sort of immigration relief that they can get. Mm -hmm. So that's been a huge one. Uh, the fourth one is food and financial insecurity. Again, during mm -hmm. the pandemic that really uh, was apparent and we started to recognize that 
a lot of our families were having to make the decisions on whether to pay their cell phone bill or pay their electricity bill or keep food on the uh, on the table or you know pay another loan bill that they had their credit card bill and so it was just craziness for them so we started to um, for the first time make a switch from a lot of our programs in the past were all empowerment programs, mm -hmm. equipping programs. This is the first time we ever stepped into relief work, and so that was actually getting cash into the hands of our our neighbors. During the pandemic, we raised uh, like $65,000 wow. and just sent out $1,000, $500 relief checks to about, I can't remember, 115 families. Uh, so that was really, really, really helpful during that time. It wasn't enough and still needed more, but that was a small little thing we could do. And then we kept up food distribution through that whole entire time, so we distribute food to about, now it's lessened a lot, which is a good thing. Uh, we do about 40 families, 40 to 80 families, I think, this next year. We'll do a week. And then the last one is a lack of representation in places of influence. And this is really my kind of like passion area. Um, it seemed like in the past, uh, there was a lot of decisions that were made about our neighborhood and our community by people who were not really fully informed by the neighbors or the community, mm. right? And yeah. so we started to see this trend just happen over and over and over. And I think things have changed a lot more recently uh, for the better. But we are always looking for ways to elevate and amplify the voice of our community. There's so many strong, amazing, beautiful leaders who have a lot to give to the city of Fullerton. But often, they're not the ones who are asked to be on the city committees or all they're not the ones who are in the ears of our city council. Again, more recently, it's changed a ton. Our city council has been super active, especially in our, our two neighborhoods, um, listening to the moms and to the people there. But it's all kind of like, how do we elevate their voices, allow the things that they're concerned about to shape the different policies and the um, different directions that are being made overall on the neighborhood that directly affect them? Mm -hmm. yeah, so wow. that was a lot. That's incredible. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I think I wanted to know about all of it. And more stuff that I found browsing through your website was that you have these three initiatives that you tackle these obstacles with, yes. these barriers with. Those are education, neighborhood, and immigration initiatives. Mm -hmm. So if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so those three initiatives really house all of our programs, and each of our programs are specifically designed to address at least one of the barriers, if not two of them. Mm -hmm. So in the education um, initiative, we have both of our after-school programs in both neighborhoods for elementary kids, and then we also have them for um, youth. And so those obviously affect educational inequity and then also the youth violence. Uh, and then in our neighborhood programs, we have um, these two groups we call Namaste Maple and Namaste mm -hmm. Garnet. And really it's the moms that are just hanging out, uh, really strong neighborhood leaders that are coming together uh, to get trainings, access to different opportunities, um, building community. Uh, building safety within the community and the neighborhood, and then also uh, coming around to do some like initial steps of uh, community organizing. So, listening to their voices, helping them shape the organization of solidarity, as well as the different things that we want to tackle as a community. Um, and so, yeah, this, that's been really fun for me in those areas, seeing those moms kind of stand up and and throw a lot of like um, fun events that we can invite the rest of the community, the rest mm -hmm. of the city to to see so that they could share beautiful things about their own culture that um, that maybe not the rest of Fullerton always has access to or always understands why mm -hmm. 
why are we celebrating Dia de los Muertos, you know? The like, well, yeah. only thing I know about it is Coco. And so <laughs> now they get to come over to our neighborhood, have some amazing food, see a beautiful ofrenda, learn about the history of it, learn about why um, the Mexican culture celebrates that. And it's just like a great learning opportunity where uh, almost power dynamics are, are flipped. No longer are they the only ones who are receiving, but they're actually the moms who are able to teach and speak and share uh, wisdom that they've they've gathered over the decades and, and share it with the rest of the city. So yeah. they're an asset for the city. Yeah, and they throw truly incredible events. I yeah, they're, they're so fun. Yeah. We, we really enjoy them. Um, <laughs> and also housed in the Neighborhood Initiative is TILT, which is our gang intervention prevention program. Um, it's really targeting the students who uh, are probably find themselves in kind of more at-risk situations. Um, and so what we do, there's two guys that lead that, Matt and Tim Anderson. They're both twin brothers, and they do an amazing job of taking these kids out of the neighborhood and the community, um, trying to emulate some of the things that the gang has been calling to them, or some of the, maybe the, the perceived uh, pulls towards the gang, which is mm -hmm. like a deep sense of family and belonging and then a, also um, kind of a element of risk. And so what they do is they take them out of the neighborhood and they do all sorts of fun excursion, outdoor adventure things. So anything from rock climbing to um, you know, camping, hiking, fishing, deep sea fishing, they all do all these fun things. So it's, it's great, they'll take the kids out to Joshua Tree and you have these kids who have grown up in this gang influenced culture where they're not really afraid of gunshots or stabbings but you get them out into the middle of Joshua Tree where it's pitch black and there's coyotes howling and they all get really freaked out and scared. <laughs> and, uh, but there's been a lot of really beautiful bonding moments that have happened yeah. from that. We focus a lot on character development. It's all trauma-informed now. Yeah. And then the last one is the Immigration Initiative, which uh, houses Camino Immigration Services, and I explained that. I feel like I'm testing you. This is your AP exam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the oral it's a version. Lot. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's a lot. Like, what have you done your whole life? Uh -huh. Explain. <laughs> so, no, that's that's truly amazing because the the Mamas in Maple group, their stuff I've been following kind of uh -huh. on social media. I've never been to an event myself, and it's just as you said, the costumes and the outfits and the dances, food, all of it just looks so amazing. Um, so yeah, really shout out to Mama Stimmy Polk yeah. for that. Martha Sanalias and uh -huh. Jasmine Perez over in Gordon. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned this when you were talking about the obstacles and the barriers earlier, but everything was coming back to the pandemic. This happened in the pandemic, mm -hmm. that happened in the pandemic. So how did you and how did Solidarity cope with that era? Um, it, it was difficult, I think. At first, we when we weren't so much of our programs are relationally driven. Uh, so when we weren't allowed to be face to face with people um, or engaging them in like kind of having a bunch of kids in a room together, we really had to reshape how we did our like everybody did how we did our programs. And so we were drawing a straw trying to figure out how do you recreate this family belonging feeling when everybody's in distance learning mode or right. looking through a Zoom screen to try to figure it out. Um, so it, we had to just get really creative on that. And that's kind of what brought us into the relief work because we knew that we couldn't gather people together to do the normal right. type of equipping programs that we did. But we could still help the neighborhood and figure out exactly what they need in this immediate moment. And so when we talked to the neighbors and asked them about things, it was things like we just need food, we need we need to work, we need jobs, we need money, and so we started to move into that, that era of stuff. And so 
I'm hoping that we don't have to be in relief work forever uh, yeah. because I think that's a sign that the neighborhood is progressing forward if we don't have to do those things. But in this time, um, I heard these stories of, you know, after the Great Depression, it was the communities of color. Like, while the rest of America kind of took a couple of years to, like, restart and jump back into normal yeah. things, communities of color, it took almost a decade for them to start to feel like they've partially caught up. But yeah. then you have a whole decade where everybody else progressed ahead and they were still stuck. And so um, I can see how things like a pandemic or a Great Depression or the Great Recession, you know, right. in 2008, have a, a heavier weight or a heavier burden that communities of color end up feeling. Right, especially 2008, I think those effects are still felt to this yeah. day, like our generation grew really up is, with right? it, right? And then, as you said, the pandemic, technically we're still not out of that mm -hmm. era. Right, the pandemic is still here. That era is still here. The economic instability, like we're not even going to see the full extent of it until the next few years. No, that, that could be scary. We don't know yeah. what's fully ahead. But. Right, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. So, you led the organization through uh, the pandemic. Yes, through the pandemic. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2018 is when Tommy stepped off uh, yeah. of leadership, and then I came in as executive director. Yeah. So for the past five-ish years, I've been leading. Right. How has that experience been? Uh, it's been, I, I, I'm a really good number two. I've known this about myself for a long time. If I'm, a, if I'm like a VP in an organization, yeah. I think I'm really good at that. Uh, it's harder for me to be a number one. Uh, I've been trying to test the waters and learn how to do it. Um, and I think for me personally, like I didn't know my own real leadership strengths until I had stepped into number one. I kind of just yeah. emulated my predecessor for all the amazing, beautiful things that Tommy was able to do. I was probably trying too hard to be a Tommy instead of being a Kevin. And so I think in this time, especially going through the pandemic, um, I started to find my own voice and my own style of leadership. And then also the other big thing is that I, I stepped into a lot more, um, I realized I couldn't, I couldn't do it on my own. And so there was just so many more opportunities for collaboration that popped up, um, whether it was running the elementary after school program with Hoya Scholars um, or doing, getting into different grants with uh, OC United or some other local My Safe Harbor um, programs to be a part of the, uh, what is it, the North Orange County Public Safety Collaborative. Mm -hmm. Being a part of those type of things brought not only more resources to Solidarity but also brought like, operational learning and understanding from people who ran organizations for a long time that were able to speak into Solidarity and help shape us. So. Uh, I just became more of a, a sponge during that time, and the pandemic was like a good time for me to learn how to uh, lead a little bit better. So, uh -huh. um, yeah, that was that was probably the biggest impact of it on me personally. Yeah, and you mentioned the you mentioned working with Hoyok Scholars as well as OC United. You know, you're you're a part of Fulton Collaborative as well. Yes. So you could tell a bit about that journey and how that you know how it feels to be a part of this amazing group of people. Yeah. So Fulton Collaborative has been really fun. I. I originally was, or Tom, Tommy Nixon, the founding executive director, was a part of Fullerton Collaborative. He was the board chair, or whatever it was. And then when he came off of Solidarity, they were looking to have another representative from Solidarity be there. And so I was like, okay, I guess this is just naturally what I should do. Yeah. And I got in, and I remember my first few meetings there, I was like, what? I don't even understand what the heck we're doing. <laughs> uh, don't tell Debbie, but <laughs> I slowly caught up after a while, and, and started to see the impact that the whole entire collaborative has within the city and it really opened up a lot more opportunities. I feel like a lot of the collaborations and the funding that we're a part of now 
is because we've developed these strong relationships within the collaborative with OC United with Hoya we knew from before but OC, you know like it just helps strengthen a lot of relationships right and you all can you know work with each other's strengths mm -hmm. yeah and, and you know work together to make fuller to know we're all a much yeah, better community yeah. so it's just truly amazing as kind of I'm kind of like a bystander in those <laughs> meetings every time that I do attend yeah. it's like I love I love seeing what's that's happening good. yeah so you have a flip the ratio program that's on yeah. your website um, tell me a little bit about that yeah so what was it 2019 before the pandemic we stumbled across this daunting uh, statistic that was out there and it said yeah. that in middle-class communities uh, the ratio of age-appropriate books to kids is 13 to 1. So every student in a middle-class neighborhood had at least 13 age-appropriate books. But then when it came to low-income communities, the ratio flipped and it was drastic. There was only one book for every 300 uh, kids that are out there. Meaning that one kid would have to have 300 of his friends come over to his house to be able to read this one age-appropriate book. And we're like, this is ridiculous. It actually infuriated me. It made me really angry. I'm like, this cannot... This seems like such an easy fix. Why can't we do this? And so right. Solidarity sent out to uh, start to partner with different organizations and bookstores and um, churches in the area and just did like an easy book drive type of thing. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm okay at fundraising, but I'm really good at book raising because it's, yeah. it's the easiest ask in the world. And you just ask people to, um, you know, go onto our Amazon list, find a book that maybe you have read with your child that you really love, and will you bless somebody in our neighborhood so that we can get those books out to them. Mm -hmm. So we started off, our first year we raised about 300 books. We set our goal on 450 this year and we're, we're gonna hit that for sure. We'll mm -hmm. definitely have that. And then the fun part is getting all the books into the homes of the community. And we realized that this is just the first part of building equity, right? Right. We're equipping them so that they have the tools necessary. The second part of it is how do we help come alongside the families and start to develop a love of reading and literature um, in the in the families and the homes. And so we're working on a second step program with the moms groups to see if we can start to develop some of that love of reading right. in the community if and strengthen what is already there because there is some families that just love to read. So. Right. Yeah. I think another obstacle that exists for lower income families is that reading requires leisure time. Yes. Mm -hmm. And to do it as a family, everybody, you know, so yeah. it's... It's hard. It, it is definitely very difficult. I think as college students, when we try to read for just fun, not outside of our school <laughs> yeah. stuff, like that's practically impossible, daunting yeah. task, um, because you always feel guilty. Mm -hmm. So to imagine to not be working and to sit down and read, like yeah. that I think is a whole other level. Yeah. Of, so. And that's one of the things I think we've run into the most. Unfortunately, because of the situations that many of our families find themselves in, they um, sometimes are in a, in a, like a survival mindset. Exactly. I, I gotta make this paycheck. I gotta hustle and get this money. Otherwise, we're gonna get kicked out of our, our apartment and we'll be homeless or we're not gonna be able to provide food for our kids, like all these type of things. And so when we're, when Solidarity is always trying to um, see if we can get our community to think of these larger systemic policy issues, that's not on their mind all the time. And yeah. granted, it shouldn't be because they need to get these core things uh, figured out first. And so that's why I really still believe full-heartedly in like the food and financial insecurity. We got to right. help our families who are just struggling to have a meal 
or frequent meals, you know, we got to get them those type of things before they can ever get to the point of really just hoping that they can dream about how their voice can influence a community and neighborhood. Right. Right. So I, I'm, I'm very fond of this program in yeah. particular. Um, so, I, you know, I just appreciate the work and the insight oh, that you're you. bringing into this. I just appreciate all this work. So you've been a part of this nonprofit for a while, basically ever since it started. Yeah. And you've been leading it for the past five years now. Um, what advice would you have to other rising nonprofits, either in this area or just overall? Yeah. Uh, I, I think, think some of the mistakes I made personally was that I would prescribe what success looked like for our neighbors um, instead of listening to them and really understanding what they wanted to see. What, what are the markers of a success for them? So uh, I take it back to the educational thing. I thought coming into the neighborhood, well, if I can help all these kids graduate and get involved in a four-year university and go on, maybe get their master's, then I'm doing a great job as a, you know, working in community development. But that's not the case for everybody, and that's not the case for every individual in the neighborhood. They don't always want that. Education's a great thing, but sometimes uh, families want something that's different. And so instead of prescribing what does success look like for their family, um, listening to them, hearing the kids that really have a deep passion and desire for uh, automotive working, they just they love tinkering around in the garage and want to do that, and then supporting them and giving them the network or helping to resource ways for them to get into a trade school type of thing. Um, that that's more of I think what is helpful, but that starts with the key thing of really letting my ego go and trying to listen to my neighbors, um, understanding that they're the experts on what's best for their community, not me. Right, because that's yeah, what a nonprofit is all about, yeah. right? It's uh -huh. not for your profit. It's for yeah, exactly. the community. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> it took me 20 years to learn that. Like, <laughs> well, better late than never, yes, right? Uh, At least you learned it and you yeah. accept it and now you're working on it. I, yeah, so I think that's great. So who else do you think we should interview on this podcast that's doing great work in Fullerton? Oh, yeah, I saw that question. I was like, oh, man, I think you've gotten pretty much everybody that I would have called. Or what is that on the list? Oh, we're so ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah, the, have you guys interviewed Debbie yet from the She's next to her on list. Oh, good, good. Um, yes, yeah, so I think Debbie would be a great person. Um, uh, Jason Phillips, who runs Fullerton Act, uh, which is kind of the faith wing of the collaborative. Mm -hmm. and so working with a lot of the local churches around here, he's been really good. I enjoy uh, conversation with him. I, I would love personally if you could get like the director of the Fullerton Arboretum. That's like my favorite place in all of Fullerton. Okay. It's the like Cal State Fullerton Arboretum. I would love to hear how he got into his work or I think it's a guy. <laughs> yeah, we'll look into it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah. And how, how he got that job. That's, that's just fascinating to me. It's a great people. Yeah, we need place. to tap into the Cal State Fullerton Arena. Mm -hmm. We haven't done that yet. We're so exclusive yeah. on Fullerton. And not, I mean, not on purpose, but we're all from Fullerton College. So Fullerton yeah, College okay. and this area and the Maple Maple, uh -huh. that's kind of our... Gotcha. But we need to branch out into more of Fullerton. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, my colleague Bethany Anderson knows a lot about... Uh, she, mm -hmm. she runs Communal Immigration Services. She's a wealth of knowledge kind of on the impact of immigration policies and how it's affecting mm -hmm. families here in Fullerton. Uh, she might be a really interesting interview. Who else? Man, I can't even think. I should prepare better for that one. <laughs> That's okay. I think those are some fantastic suggestions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do one a week, so this will yeah. carry us through to go. the next new year. Very good. Yeah.
Fantastic. So thank you so much yeah. for being here today. We of learned course. a lot from you as also aspiring college students who we don't know what we're going to do with our lives, but <laughs> you know. Yeah, it takes, takes forever to figure that out. But. Yeah. Are you still figuring it out? Uh, yeah, I think so. In some ways I am. Yeah. I, I don't foresee myself being uh, at Solidarity forever. Yeah. Um, definitely think there's going to be a new career path for me, so I'm trying to figure out what that might be in the future. Who knows? Do we have any hints? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. still trying to figure it out. Know. I'll just try to catch yeah. you at the collaborative meeting there you and go. figure it out. <laughs> Kevin, did you figure it out yet? <laughs> What's next? Yet. What's next? Oh, man. I got to figure that out. Yeah, you told the wrong person. <laughs> so, one last question. Yeah. How do people get involved with Solidarity? Like, what can people do to help you do your job yeah. there? Easiest way is just to go to our website, solidaritynpo.org, a nonprofit organization. On there, uh, there's different ways to volunteer or donate or just become more aware of the different things that are affecting um, our neighbors and the community that uh, surrounds them. Yeah, yeah. so donate, volunteer, mm -hmm. amazing. Yes. Thank you so much, Kevin, for being here today. Yeah, no it was lovely having was you know, just hearing you, testing you on your life story. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? But, yeah. you know, it's, I think you're doing you have done and you are doing some incredible work in Fullerton and I see the effects of that and he covers the effects of that so it's amazing um, so yeah I got to learn a lot from you okay appreciate it well, thank, you. thank you for having me <laughs> okay.